Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to The Daily Break. I'm Andrew Tallman. Here's what's happening today at Newsweek. didn't catch the live broadcast of that space launch on the news recently over the weekend, well, that's because it wasn't broadcast live on the news. And that's because it wasn't SpaceX, it wasn't Blue Origin, it wasn't anybody at Cape Canaveral. In fact, that one came from Russia. The launch took place at the Plzetsk Cosmodrome in the north town of Mirny in northwestern Russian region of, get this name, Archangelsk Oblast. They do have some cool sounding names. Uh, April 29th or Friday. It's actually the first time that we've seen the launch of Russia's new Angara 1.2 rocket. And it's the military. In fact, speculation is that it's a new military radar satellite being launched into orbit in order to be used in the war in Ukraine. Uh, Excuse me, the special military action. I think you can only call it that for so long before you have to call it a war. But whatever, it is the term that Vladimir Putin wants to use. There were some interesting notes mixed in the bland diplo-speak of the Russian Ministry of Defense's pronouncement on the matter, which they released the day after on Saturday. One thing is that it says the combat crew of the space forces of the aerospace forces. So, like we have an air force, they have an aerospace force. Like we have a space force, they have a subsidiary of the air force called the space forces. In typical boring Russian military fashion, it says the launch of the carrier rocket and the launch of the spacecraft into the calculated orbit took place in the normal mode. I don't know why understatement makes things sound more sinister, but somehow that does have the effect. And basically the rest of the release says things like it was all normal, everything went fine, it was accompanied by ground controls, and eventually went into orbit. It also praised the work of the crews making this happen, over 30 ground-based measuring instruments and over 50 combat crews of the 15th Aerospace Forces Army Special Purpose involved in the launch. So what's in it for real? Well, if they don't tell you, that's when you have to be concerned. Even though the identity of the payload was not revealed, the spacecraft itself was designated Cosmos 2555 after the successful launch. In the grand scheme of natural phenomena that concern you, which ones are the worst? Tornado, hurricane, thunderstorm, tsunami, haboob? I know all about haboobs. We used to live in Phoenix. We got haboob the day we were leaving town forever. So that one has a special place in my own heart. But back to the point. If none of those quite do the trick for you, let me introduce you to a new term. You ready? Earthquake swarm. Now, I know it sounds a little Sharknado, but here's what happens. Sometimes you don't have the big earthquake. What you have is a whole bunch of little teeny tiny earthquakes with a few larger ones, sort of like an earth jiggle, maybe, over a prolonged period of time. Like it's, you know, jello, and then somebody tweaked it real good, and it just keeps warbling back and forth over a while, while the guests keep hoping that the tangerine slices don't fall out. Well, according to a study published in the Nature Journal Communications, Earth and Environment, there was a rather extended jiggle or earthquake swarm that took place near a large underwater volcano. I know that's also probably a new term called the Orca is the name of it, just around the edge of Antarctica, beginning in August of 2020 and continuing through about February of 2021. So over the course of about six months, the Orca, in case you're wondering, is dormant. At least we had thought so. And yes, that's the name of a volcano, not a shark hunting boat. 
Now, these particular readings were not done on the Richter scale. They were done on what's called the moment magnitude scale, which is similar to the Richter scale. And typically on that scale, sixes and sevens are bad. Anything above an eight, and you know, there's a lot of horrible news. Below a four, not such a big deal. There weren't very many strong quakes, like above a 4.0. There were 128 at that level. Out of a total of 3,186 of them. So 3,186 earthquakes in the initial phase. That peaked with two larger events, October 2nd and November 6th, 5.9 and a 6.0 on the scale. By the time all was said and done over the six months, 85,000 earthquakes. That's a lot of jello jiggling. And again, it was close to the Orca underwater volcano, which scientists previously thought was inactive. No big deal, it's just the most intense activity for earthquakes that's ever been recorded in the region. The cause of the earthquake swarm? Probably magma moving around under the crust. There may also have been an underwater volcano eruption that we didn't notice. And for those who think that there's not much seismic activity going on in Antarctica, there actually is quite a bit of it. Even, and I know this is kind of hard to wrap your brain around, but volcanoes underneath Antarctica. One recent study identified 138 of them in West Antarctica alone, but generally they're inactive. So what's the big takeaway from all this seismic activity? Well, did you notice it happen? Neither did I. We're probably okay. And finally, from the don't eat it if your mama didn't pack it in your lunch for you file, a nine-year-old student in Klein, Texas was given a gummy by a friend. Yeah, that kind of gummy. Only she didn't know it. So mom gets a phone call last week from the elementary school saying her daughter was sick and throwing up. She rushes to school, goes to the nurse's office. What's going on? What made her throw up? Does she have a fever? Did she eat something? No fever. She just threw up a lot in class. She was fine the next day, and then she got a call later that said, we want to let you know that your daughter had eaten some cannabis candy that had THC in it, which was a little bit of a surprise to her. When she talked to her daughter about it, the daughter said, well, I wasn't going to turn down candy. And mom did take her to the doctor. She did test positive for marijuana metabolite. And she basically thought that was the end of it until she got another call from the elementary school telling her that her daughter was going to be suspended. The Klein Independent School District said in a statement that there was an investigation and all the families had been told and, you know, violations of the student code of conduct were pending. The mom is basically livid because her daughter didn't bring it to school, didn't know what it was, and winds up getting suspended because of eating candy that somebody else brought to school that happened to have THC in it. She plans to challenge the suspension. But edibles are becoming more and more of a problem in classrooms because you have, like, in Texas in December, you had a parent discover his daughter and other students in class were given THC-infused cupcakes to celebrate a student birthday. You had THC-infused goldfish crackers sending several toddlers to the emergency room and the arrest of a daycare owner in Virginia. And I guess, to me, all of this is a little bit surprising. I mean, it's weird, right, that if you put THC in crackers and candy that children like to munch on, that anything unintended could ever come from that. That's it for The Daily Break. Be sure to head over to Newsweek.com for these stories and more, including our growing podcast lineup and Consider subscribing to the digital and print editions of Newsweek if you haven't already. Hit the five-star rating before you go. I appreciate it. I'm Andrew Tallman. Thanks for listening to The Daily Break, brought to you by Newsweek.